anger, sexual lust, the sorts of things that you experience when you're playing a video game. All these concepts originated with Karl Marx. at home can we can we uh, turn our hats backwards and, and sit in the chair backwards and then speak backwards of the sopranos um because how how does this show exist how how does <laughs> so, so i was i mean when the show was first airing 99 it started i think i would have been too young to you know uh, appreciate it anyway but yeah. throughout my entire adult life and I, I remember the finale and all the drama around that uh, but through my entire adult life there's been this presence of this uh prestige television show that is really wildly and widely beloved um but i'm gonna be honest with you uh, i think it ran 99 to 2007 that is not a period that i hold in high esteem in terms of just culture. So my thinking was this show is just going to be like an amalgamation of, of Scorsese films. And, you know, he makes some good movies, but I've, I've, I've seen them. I've done that. And you know, I'm, I'm bored shitless of like the mobster movie. So I thought it was going to be like that. So I never fucking watched it until, uh, uh, a, a, what's what's the word? Sort of like a, a, an amount of people that it, that it came to sort of a, a point had had said to me things. That critical mass. Me, critical mass. Thank thank you, Jesus. Yeah, critical mass of people had uh, had said to me like, no, no, this th this show is is not what you think it is. And um, let me adjust my mic here. There we go. And holy shit! It, the whole time I'm watching this show, I'm thinking. How was this, especially in 99, 2007, how was this uh, a, a massively successful, like, prestige television show? It's super fucking weird. Like, mm -hmm. I remember at the time, like, my mother watched it. And I, I'm just thinking, like, how the fuck was she into this show? This show that's like... A, a black comedy about if you know the fucking godfather was just like a genuinely kind of unintelligent person who's trying to like do therapy and, and like figure out you know this guy who has like a horrible traumatic life in which he's constantly like killing people close to him trying to be like why why do i have like you know stress and panic attacks and stuff like it's a huge mystery there's no way to know it's such a fucking like the premise is hilarious the execution is even fucking funnier i just how was this show made how did I, I i don't it just seems impossible to me i suppose is what i'm saying uh and yet has, and yet there it is it came in at the its status as like a prestige product is so important to like its history because you're right like the like the the mimetic gabagool of like the Sopranos has very little to do with <laughs> what makes the Sopranos so unbelievably interesting, mm -hmm. which is like the Sopranos, the Sopranos of like, it, it came much more subtly because of the way that prestige, because prestige TV had spilled over from like HBO and cable and stuff into, you know, the places like AMC. 
but like really the the sopranos of people our ages like i watched the sopranos uh like when the final season was on i had gotten to college and so i went back with people in my dorm and watched basically all of it um in time for the finale but like the real sopranos of people are closer to our ages generation is the television show that's connected to the sopranos directly is it's mad men it has it's a it's this show about the Sopranos is a show about what the mafia not becoming relevant anymore, at least not in the way that it used to be and sort of the existential struggles that come from being like kind of a fucking loser, but also being like a violent criminal who had like, yes, has a, like a childhood panic attacks and like a, a family, a long family history of mental health, as you learn throughout the series, like and Mad Men is about the period before this to when change is still being experienced in light of this post-war high that mm-hmm. all of these guys who like are either college educated or military veterans who are you know competing for to like sell advertisements for lucky strike down on madison avenue are also all in therapy the the thing the thing in common that these really interesting like differently timed connected via the people who worked on them shows have with one another is fucking freud they're the most freudian television shows <laughs> oh, on, yeah. in the history of television and it's what makes like tony soprano such like just this like not yeah with considering that like it, it makes perfect sense that the sort of like cultural perception of the soprano sort of outweighs what the sopranos actually tony soprano in the same way that i think james james gandolfini was is like so much more of a like James Gandolfini, who first of all, you know, King with a capital K, absolutely. Uh, from everything that I've heard, a very like James Gandolfini had this sort of like self-effacing personality streak to him, to where he really like he really had like he had he had struggled with stuff like about like with self-loathing and like all of this sort of like he thought he was a terrible actor, but he's an incredible te- like one of the best television actors like ever. And like it, it makes the Sopranos in is the Sopranos has this just kind of like they're like they're the, the whimper of the falling away of a previous era experienced through the like neuroses of one guy. Um, and it's like it is it is fucking it is fucking wild that that television show exists and it's it's, it's fitting because i think it also marks the end of an era where tv is any fucking good i feel like this is the yeah. last good tv show i'm really down on on tv for a lot of reasons yeah. um i didn't really care for mad men i didn't watch much of it to be fair um i feel like what the sopranos has that it was lacking is just this on its face absurdity right from yeah. from like the first scene Basically, like I was really caught off guard by how funny this would be. And a few people, I think you're one of them, uh, told me that it was a funny show. But I thought I thought that was going to be in like an unintentional way where 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 we would like aggressively read humor onto it because some things are so strange. Like, um, I think a lot of Breaking Bad is not meant to be funny, but it's kind of, you know, just funny stuff in Breaking Bad. Um, But this is like, no, this this is really like cleverly and humorously written and I'm kind of inclined to compare it to Breaking Bad because I feel like 
both of them come up in this recurring discourse of um, having protagonists who are bad people and lots of viewers yeah. thinking that they're cool. And I mean, first of all, by virtue of how storytelling and, and receiving stories works, if you have a protagonist, you are you're just going to empathize with them on some level because their point of view is is how you're experiencing this world and this story. It's just going to happen. Um, but I think that it's noteworthy to me that Walter White, like, yeah, if you're really thinking about it, Walter White is often very, you know, he's a ridiculous, pathetic man, but I think that there's a lot more scenes in Breaking Bad where they try to convince you he's cool. Whereas I feel like the Sopranos, every, I, okay, I, I'm, I'm like halfway through season three, so I'm not even, I'm not even done yet. Okay, but, <laughs> here's season five of The Sopranos is <laughs> like, oh my god, I'm so excited. I'm like, looking forward to it. Now, I just, like, I already, I very much enjoy recording Agab, but now I have more of an excuse to look forward to recording Agab because we get to just, we're gonna, so we have a new segment, it's Kay's Sopranos <laughs> Journey, and it's when we, when we talk about their journey through what like this is just yeah this is good this i can't i'm so sorry i can't i didn't know no yeah you're only in oh that's so good yeah that's yeah so my good. partner and i have been watching it we started just like uh a week or two ago um so yeah we're we're uh, it's it's been a mind-blowing experience um that's so sweet I love that. what was that shit what was i saying oh yeah yeah right um uh as the show goes on it feels like it's like almost mocking a hypothetical viewer who might try to see Tony as in any way like virtuous or cool. There's a scene or there's an episode at the beginning of season three that I think is, is actually kind of a shitty episode in a lot of ways. Um, it's got like a really awful graphic rape scene in it. Um, and uh, his therapist fantasizes about it. It has a weird reactionary bent to it where like, they catch the rapist, but he gets off on, like, a technicality, and it's like, that's not how that would work. He would still have to appear in court uh, and face criminal charges. Just they might not be able to hold him if they didn't do the arrest properly, but the idea that he's just, like, cleared of all charges because of that, that's that's so, like, right-wing media. I, I, it was really weird. Um, and then his, his therapist fantasizes about uh, basically using Tony as Batman, Basically, to be like, oh, well, the justice system isn't doing it, but I know a guy who can whack him, you know. Um, it was just fucking insane. And I feel like I might, I, th I think in the very next episode, um, if not the same episode, I don't remember, um, Tony uh, reveals that he's a big racist. He's not okay with his daughter dating a black guy. And then he... Uh, it's a bit of a misdirect. This isn't the real cause, but it's framed as if he opens the cupboard and sees like a, a pack of Uncle Ben's rice and sees Uncle Ben like the mascot and like fucking passes out. It's so fucking funny. It's like they're just clowning on Tony sometimes in a way that oh yes is is just beautiful. And I I feel like I feel like The Sopranos is wrongly tacked on. To Breaking Bad when people talk about those kinds of shows where like someone's a piece of shit but they're like framed as cool like I don't think that ever really happens in The Sopranos I think there's this constant layer of absurd sort of uh, patheticness isn't even the right word but there's there's something where it's just constantly like he's always framed as a little fucking freak you know 
Yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of obsessed with the idea of doing uh, uh, dream analysis of Tony Soprano's dreams, which you can't like the the dream of Tony Soprano since it's written in the way that it is, it doesn't really function the same as one of our dreams. But he it had it's like the dream theory of the Sopranos is so perfect because it just has this like there's the there's this estuary between sort of like an honesty in the storytelling in the way that like it kind of like brings you in and it, you feel sort of like within and then outside and then back inside of the perspective of Tony Soprano because you have this like it's what a good anti-hero does the 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 reason why we need to abolish twitter is because we constantly have to have conversations about is anti-hero good or not good which like that's the terror. That's not a good question. It's not a helpful question. Yeah, and um, if you have the no, wrong opinion about this character, you are morally complicit in their acts. <laughs> yeah, which like it, it's a little bizarre the whole conversation. But like, what, what's, I, I think I think what I'm trying to trying to say is that what's what's helpful about or interesting about shows shows like The Sopranos and characters like Tony Soprano in them is that they have an ability to like i think Kay, i think you're absolutely right the, the whole the whole premise of the show is like this schlub like almost that has this like he keeps like you know he keeps metaphorically spilling his soup like kind of everywhere and a lot of it it's not exact it's not always it a lot of it, it it's you have you have to you have to live with the mixture of like what is and is not this not nice good guy's fault but who's kind of pathetic and you feel i feel bad for him i know that he's not a good person who makes good choices Mm -hmm. but at the same time i it's it complicates the idea of where sort of the water's edge is when it comes to the sopranos and then the perspective of tony soprano and it complicates our perspective as the viewer as to like okay how do i feel about this person do i feel aligned with them do i feel against them like what does that say? Do I do I relate to their like? Should, like I relate to having childhood panic attacks. I was a childhood panic attack expert, mm-hmm. and so that it has it. And this sort of like, the sort of like internal the, the ridiculous kind of posturing like we all I think do in some instances in therapy of just like kind of in the midst of it being like this is bullshit. I hate this stupid bullshit. Yeah. This is bullshit. <laughs> I don't need this stupid. But like it like and really just kind of this feeder between our free association and talk therapy and our subconscious ideas and thoughts and beliefs and the dreams themselves. And like how eventually you just kind of like, I don't know. I was talking about it with a friend the other day, how there's this kind of like it, like in exploring those tensions, like it kind of release releases tensions in ourselves and how we can say, Oh, I can, I can, I can, you know, I can, I can go, I can, I can get up and walk, move forward and go on and live my day knowing that I have a complex relationship to this complicated, weird, confusing, alienating, but also very relatable somehow character. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that's what makes The Sopranos good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, another thing I really like about it is just that, I don't know how to put it. It feels like art in a way that, that when I think about, I guess the last big prestige TV phenomenon was Game of Thrones. And there, I mean, I liked, especially the early seasons, I liked it. 
Um, there was a lot of good writing that can be attributed to, uh, you know, it being written by a fucking novelist beforehand, not a couple of ta- uh, hacky TV writers, which the dickheads who made it are. Um, but like when I, I, I don't know, whenever I watch even a single episode of The Sopranos, especially, um, I feel like this was even more of a thing early on, just some really like surprising decisions are made just like in terms of in terms of like cinematography like really bizarre camera angles there's one where tony goes into like a staircase and the camera angle is like looking up at the bottom of the stairs and it's just like a super weird jarring sort of angle um and then it it draws your attention to certain things that just like a flat shot wouldn't have and then i think about game of thrones where again even though there's a lot of good writing in it um every scene is just like it, it It feels almost like a marvel movie it's just straight shot mm. you know just straight on one person talking two people talking one person talking um and I, people got really excited about um the the battle of the bastards because it was a very complex you know choreographed big battle and i also think that that stood out to people because it was one of the few times that they like do something other than just a really standard shot. And I think even people who aren't um, like cinema nerds are going to pick up on just like how dry so much of, of of the the like technical aspects of that show can be on, on some level. But The Sopranos is constantly doing things where I'm like, that's that's weird. That's not what I thought it was about to happen. Just, just on that technical level, not even getting into the the writing of it, um, and uh, I, I the re- part of the reason I say it's the last good TV show is I just I don't know I feel like I haven't seen a show in a long fucking time where that's happened where I've been like consistently kind of wowed by something. Ironically, I think the the last time I felt like that with a show was uh, it was actually a, a Fox marvel show called legion which does some kind of interesting things but i think a big part of that is because my bar was lowered because it was like cape shit even though legion's really not it's really its own thing but um it i don't know i've just been thinking a lot lately about how much of tv just fucking just sucks i'm anti i'm anti tv now i'm i'm against it i'm against television i'm uh that's my position i'm afraid yeah, well, it's been a mix. It's been a mix. It had been. It had been a mixed bag for a long time, and now it's just. I don't know. I'm just gonna try and get everyone to watch Deadwood, so we can talk. About it. Have you seen Deadwood? Deadwood, I have not seen Deadwood. No. Oh, okay. Well, one step at a time. <laughs> Baby steps. But then we will, you know, successfully talk about The Sopranos. That's a good video game. Listen, okay, Deadwood. so. Uh, we we on Agab uh, give the Sopranos video game a ten out of ten. Yeah, you can see our review at IGN. <laughs> yeah, our our regular column at IGN. Our reg- we we, re- <laughs> we, re- we review <laughs> the Sopranos video get video games like the Sopranos. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a, there's there was an amazing episode. I think it might be the most recent one I saw. Um, somebody I forget his name. He's like the big guy who works at the strip club. He brought one of those like wall mounted fish that you walk by it and it sings a fucking song at you. He brought that into the office and then Tony saw it and had like a flashback to the dream that, that sort of prompted him to 
to investigate uh, whether his friend Big Pussy, who they call Big Pussy, uh, was being a snitch uh, that led to him killing him. Um, and he freaks out and, like, fucking breaks it over the guy's head. And everyone's just like, bro, what the fuck? Uh, and then at the end of that episode, um, Polly and I'm terrible with names in this show. The younger guy with the unibrow are in a car and Polly's got, now he's got one of these fish and they're just fucking laughing at it. Like it's the funniest thing they've ever seen. And it's a great show. It's just a great show. <laughs> yeah. The uphold, uphold the Sopranos and the big, the big mouth Billy Bass. <laughs> yeah. Just uh, the amount of episodes where, like, technically, like, if I just described the episode to someone, it would seem like nothing fucking happened. But like, you watch it and it's like riveting television. You can't look away from. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, really. Well, well, we'll just have to keep everyone posted. Um, on your on your Sopranos journey. Uh, it's it's important it, it get yeah it's a good video game deadwood also a really good video game that mm-hmm. we should talk about okay um and so maybe that can maybe that's really our new segment is that we we talk about two video games <laughs> instead <laughs> that's what we'll do yeah. sometimes we'll double up i'm, I'm mm-hmm. i've been in the background just trying to think of like good tv shows i've seen like season one of westworld i liked the rest are kind of horrible but a, a Again, like I liked it in in an environment where like the only other thing on was Game of Thrones, but it, I wouldn't even put it in the same ballpark as The Sopranos, to be honest. Did you ever see Westworld? Uh, the first season and a half of it. Y- yeah, the first season. Was, see where I fell off. Yeah, the second season's fucking terrible. I um, it took me years to go back and finish it. Uh, even though I, I really liked the first one, and I think a lot of the reason I liked it is just because Anthony Hopkins. You know. Well, yeah, you can uh, you, you can pile a lot on his back, so to speak. Uh, he's uh, yeah, top tier actor. You gotta love you gotta love the big A H. Yeah, that's a that's a heavyweight. The big A. The H also stands for heavyweight. The big A. <laughs> the big A. Yeah. Ah! Is that, that's what people say when that's what his friends call him. <laughs> they see him, they go Ah, yeah. Ah. <laughs> I, it's understandable. He's got a very intense stare. I think if you turned around and weren't expecting to see him, you'd be like, whoa, shit. I saw that. What was it? I'm trying to remember the name. I was I was at, uh, I spent two years at a Bible college before I uh, got my act together and just transferred to a state university. And during that time, I spent a lot of time by myself. So when I wasn't working, I had a tendency to go to the movies by myself, um, which is an underrated experience. Hmm. Um, and uh, I saw there's a movie that I'm trying to remember now that starred him as a priest um, who did exorcisms. And boy, was it bad. But boy, did he like really. Br- Man, if there's anything that he did, it doesn't matter what kind of piece of garbage he's been given. He just will just kind of like bring it and do so. Because that movie was terrible. But I walked away thinking, oh, yeah. Yeah, I I have a lot of respect for an actor who, if they take a role, even if it's in something they probably don't respect that much, they still like take it seriously. Like, yeah, um, I have a feeling that was probably Patrick Stewart when he was cast in Star Trek. Uh, at the time, like he uh, he has like a theater background. That was probably like 
schlocky bullshit to him, but he fucking brings it. He's like, everyone loves him as Picard. Like, he does a great job. And I think that an actor like of his caliber could have easily like not respected the role and then just sort of phoned it in and it would have been way shittier. And uh, I don't know. I think I, I appreciate if so. I think if you're going to do something, fucking do it right. You know? Um, yeah. Especially if you probably don't need the money. Don't be taking a fucking role just to fuck around, which is funny because I'm pretty sure uh, later in his career, he would go on to voice the poop emoji in the emoji movie, which can't, <laughs> well, yeah. can't, I mean, I, I haven't seen it, but that can't possibly be a role where he was bringing his A game. So no, <laughs> nobody's perfect. <laughs> it's, it's probably more, you know, a clerical error in your accounting on your taxes. And so, <laughs> well, now, I, now I got it. Now I got to cut a check. Yeah. Uh, and so I better I better be the poop emoji. You got to be the poop emoji. Speaking <laughs> speaking of needing to cut a check, um, uh, followers of my my work will probably realize that I'm a, a huge fan of Nick Cage, and um, he in recent years he's been taking. Yeah, long time ago he had like financial problems, and yeah. interestingly, that's why he was in like three movies every year. Yeah, he was in a lot of shit, but I th I feel like he's sorted that out because now he's mostly been in like smaller budget interesting movies. Fucking bangers? Yeah, he's like Mandy, <laughs> incredible. I just watched Pig the other day. Holy shit. Uh, there's fucking rules. There's going to be a video about Pig at some point, folks. Oh my god. Like, oh, just, please make a fuck. video about Pig. It's it's uh, it's so good and the fact that Nick Cage is in it and he's like doing a good kind of understated performance it 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 creates this tension where the whole time you're waiting for him to go full like um what do you call a kiss of the vampire or whatever but he just doesn't because that's that's not yep. that movie uh it, it's a very unique experience and uh god he he rules man what a what a fucking freak don't we love him <laughs> he's just like he really he has this his range is conceived by like just just grabbing onto the both volume and intensity dials in his in his inner mind and just like going up and down and up and down just cranking just running around running the gamut with it yeah and boy not only do i respect it um it has turned into some some real fucking magic and legitimately legitimately recent mandy god mandy if Mandy wasn't a like a like a maximalist masterpiece, I don't know what that movie was incredible. Yeah, no, Mandy's like a top film for me. It was fucking great, um, and I think well, I think it's funny because I feel like a lot of Nick Cage movies, he's it almost feels like he's kind of been let loose and he's doing his own thing, and and his weird sort of performance art that he calls acting can elevate uh, a movie with maybe sort of a shitty script like um kiss of the vampire i think would have been unwatchable with anyone else he brings a lot to yeah. it like it's not a ghost good rider movie. Like, ghost yeah. go oh fuck he, ghost rider i don't know i don't know if he can even save that one but but it <laughs> i would i would recommend watching it just to see his weird performance in it but like oh that's what that's it's literally why you watch it it's it's it really it's hilarious yeah it's it's it's, it's, it's absurd yeah it's, it's very weird um but like, I feel like more recently, these smaller movies like Mandy, like Pig, these less experienced directors who probably came up yes. as, you know, people who watch Nick's work, 
Um, I feel like they get how to utilize him. Like, I feel like Mandy really leaned into sort of like the, you know, the crazy sort of persona he often puts on and, and found a way to actually make that work in the film instead of it feeling like he's an alien presence in the film, like in Kiss of the Vampire, where it's like he got airdropped into this fucking movie and he's just being a psycho. Instead, it's like, no, he belongs in this movie. It was like sculpted around him. Uh, and, and Pig almost feels like uh, like the inverse of that, where it's sculpted around your expectations of him and your expectations that it's going to be like a John Wick movie, but like grittier. Uh, and it just isn't at all. It's... I don't know. I, I love that kind of shit. I love taking something where you know your audience is going to come in with these expectations based on the actor, based on sort of the tropes that your story has on its surface, and and you um you can then use that to do something really deconstructive and fun instead of just yeah. having him you know yell at a camera for half an hour. But I think he did. I think. I, I, my guess would be that Michael Sonorski, the, who directed, wrote, did this, who co-wrote the story, he did the screenplay, mm-hmm. co-wrote the story and everything, um, like, knew how to respect Nicolas Cage, because you feel like, I mean, I've watched 8 million Nicolas Cage movies, I feel like I understand the guy, mm-hmm. is the thing, because, yeah, boy, has, has he been in some trash, but, and I know it's a, I know it's a little cliche to go back to constantly just go back to leaving las vegas but leaving leaving las vegas is this sort of like the sort of like apex of his career in that phase to where he had he was it he was just in the right place with the right screenplay in the right role with someone most more than anything someone who wrote the screenplay and directed the movie so who was directing him Mm -hmm. and who just kind of understood how to make the character out of the actor Especially so, like he's not the only you know actor who does this, you know has this sort of like strong affect or this characterization or really as you said in a lot of instances basically performance art that's <laughs> that like that's being applied to like literally like scripted film, but uh, and it can end up being like yeah I it does not surprise me that uh, that like a like someone who's on someone who has a good vision for what they want to do who's on their debut could stick nick cage in a role and that nick cage would probably take to it really well by virtue of just like honestly literally just yeah being like the being respected as the person to sit in that space literally like there's nothing better than that guy being able to be the guy who was also in con air which is also a perfect movie for different reasons (laughs) so fucking funny i mean leaving las vegas would have been my favorite cage movie before uh two years ago i guess when i saw mandy and that was a game changer. And it's it's awesome because that was, you know, an early film for him. So to see somebody do so well early on and then, in my eyes, peak decades into their career is is, is really cool. Um, but um, I think we've talked enough about video games. I think we should probably <laughs> talk about uh, a video game. Literature. Oh, literature. You're right. We should talk. It's time to talk about the classics. I have imagined it, our downfall, a thousand times, but it still breaks my heart to hear the truth of it. Yeah. The the big classics, um, we're talking today about a game 
that is is quite uh, near to my heart. It's called The Forgotten City, and it started out as a Skyrim mod. Um, fuck knows how many years ago. And I remember playing it at the time. It was, I would say, rightfully uh, held up as, as one of the better like Skyrim quest mods. And uh, recently it came out as its whole own game, which uh, is really good, especially considering it's made by like three fucking guys. I think they did it's a, a real achievement. And um, what did you what did you think of the Forgotten City of uh, uh, this time loop game? Uh, and and kind of how it it uh, how it how it plays with history and and also its own concept uh, with with the time cool. loop. I'm already taking deep breaths. <laughs> uh, holy shit! Okay, so yeah, 2016. By the way, uh, looked it up. 2016. Yeah. Okay, so Forgotten City. The first thing I guess we should say, out of respect for the developers, we're probably not going to like get into the absolute nitty-gritty details of the story Mm -hmm. because um you should play god play play it if you like narrative based stuff to where you have to do some reading but also it's a genre of just like there's as at one point there's like action stuff in it if you go that route there's a there's like at one point you can just read for 20 minutes um Mm -hmm. if you get far enough into it it is incredible writing it's so carefully done. So in case you want the full back to front, no spoiler experience, um, go ahead and like just pause. Yeah. Play the game. You can play through a few, play through it and get it's it has multiple endings. Yeah, it's got you four. Get the multiple. You can get them. How long did it take you to get the four? Endings I, I got all four endings in uh, seven to eight hours, like seven and a half, I think. I think. I think I ended up being really close to that as well. Yeah. Um, it's it's super really cool experience to have. So, but we're also, you know, like there's so much to this fucking game. It has a time loop mechanic to where like you go through and you play it a whole bunch of different times. And the, in this, ex- like it has been expanded and like it was stuff added to it a whole bunch. So this new release is like, it's really exciting that this exists. Yeah. Um, uh, just quickly, the premise is that you find yourself in uh, an underground city and it is governed by something called the Golden Rule. If anyone uh, kills or steals, then everyone dies. Uh, except for you, who will uh, loop through time and come back at the start of that day. Uh, the only thing that you keep is your memories, your character remembers everything they've done and their inventory, so you need to leverage those two things, basically, to try to get out of the situation. That's that's the premise. It's a nice, simple premise, and I think that the amount that they do with it is really cool. And we're going to talk about some things um, that in, in any other game would be kind of a red flag for me. Like, we're going to talk about... Uh, there's, like... You, you can get into like a philosophical debate with uh, like a, an old bearded Greek man in a cave, for example, um, <laughs> something like that, where if, if you told me that happened in like a Ubisoft game, I'd be like, oh, fuck, that's <laughs> going to be a nightmare. But like the writing is good. <laughs> this It's good when this game does it. <laughs> yeah, it has this like. So, yeah, the 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 print that that is that's a really good summary of the premise. The game starts you you you're on the Tiber river in it basically the 
it's a it's really a really important part to the a, a really important part of the founding of the city of the city of Rome, and like basically where Romulus and Remus were supposedly abandoned. Um, it has this like a, a a level of significance in the Roman, the Greco-Roman, but especially the Roman classics that comes into play perfectly for the Forgotten City because it's a game that's like grounded in uh, history and classical antiquity. Um, two of my favorite things. <laughs> um, it basically you wait you 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 seem to have like fallen into the Tiber and you wake up having drifted at for a while in a the titular forgotten city and there is this like essentially intermixing of like yeah a, t- a, a time loop mechanic as you attempt to try and figure out how to get back to where you came from as well as this sort of broad spectrum of characterizations of other people who from as you can tell came to this forgotten city in the same way that you did so it's a group of sort of like seemingly ordinary people all sort of cast in this uh you know place not really sure how precisely they got there nor how to precisely to leave it's you know some people have an idea some people don't um and it's all under the governance of this thing called the golden rule which is sort of this kind of actual manifestation of like you know classical virtues right you need to not steal not murder uh like not do these sort of like you have to follow these certain rules otherwise the game will intervene and uh you will basically like everyone gets punished um uh if everyone receives a deadly punishment so i don't want to reveal too much about what happens because it's so cool um but anyways there's a what I thought about this game is that it's in- incredible for countless numbers of reasons, but the fir- the the things that jumped out at me most immediately were the some of the some of the stuff I find most interesting about working with history and classical antiquity. In classical antiquity, there's a big limit for those who don't like follow me on Twitter or whatever. This can you imagine? Kind of can you imagine not following yeah, Kyle why? on Twitter? You degenerates. Why? Fix it Have up. You... <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, if you imagine not going to twittercom slash and following me, um, there's a, a I, I've most of my history education in undergrad and grad school is in the in classical antiquity, specifically kind of around the time when this game is supposed to be set. A little before that, usually I work within the Republic, but this game is um, seems to the the you don't know exactly what year it is, but it seems to be something around the like uh, time of the Great Fire in Rome in uh, sixty three CE or AD in the Common Era. Um, so it has this like. What, what, what jumped out to me the most is the way that like the limitations and sources and the way that we write history, historiography, as we call it in, in the biz, um, have a, a profound effect on the it, like how our, our, our ability to capture and retain and com- fully comprehend lived experience in history is limited by our sort of by virtue of our own position 
Um, this game is very postmodern to me, basically. Mm-hmm. It's a postmodern work of history because it's about both one transgressing form by taking us to sort of places that we don't think that aren't really plausible or traversable in the way, no, like, way like the, a, a whole bunch of people, you in the modern era, wake up in a forgotten city in ancient Rome uh, during the Roman Empire um, with other people who have also fu- come there the same way uh, is a very implausible sort of scenario for, you know, any kind of an event. Um, and it not only this, but it also uses this in its historical sense to destabilize the 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 way that we take for granted the picture we have of the past and what it was like living there mm-hmm. how people lived there um, how they associated with one another what they thought how they felt which is a big part of it it reminded me um the parts of the game that like you know that that discuss the again i'm trying to be ambiguous that discuss the idea of gods as the mortal name that is given for that which is sort of outside of the corporeal realm or whatever. Yeah, is a, that is a that it's a statement of history, right? The, the 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 use of the word oracle for someone who can sort of move through time. We have this sort of like technologized, for lack of a better, not made up word, sort of perspective of how this sort of like time loop in this game works but it's this sort of oracle it's 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 interpreted as an oracle from people who lived in the past yeah and there are gods but the gods are like gods what you call me and it has this like by virtue of the the transgressive form that it's taking it is destabilizing uh, our understanding of the lived experiences of people who were around in antiquity. And I think that's a profoundly important, actually a profoundly important thing um, for any, I don't know if I've ever seen a video game do that. Um, I think this is maybe the first time I've ever seen anyone do basically postmodern history in a video game. It probably, I'm sure it exists somewhere, but this may be the first time I've ever seen it. Yeah. Um, I think that it's really interesting because I wasn't expecting it to go down the road that it did really, where it, it really wanted to yeah. challenge as well. I think a lot about how we um, popular in like popular culture, how we view history as well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Like there is um, I'm, I'm just going to spoil one of the endings of the game. It's the, the fourth and final ending, the, the goodest ending, I guess. Um, and what happens is you find Pluto, uh, the god, and in the, he tells you that the gods in this are more like an alien race who have been kind of monitoring humans since around the Sumerian age. And uh, all the other gods have left. We are alone, except for Pluto, slash Hades, slash um, shit, uh, Osiris, I believe, slash Nurgle. And you have to go through sort of a mission to discover all those identities, which that's important for, I'll get to that in a minute. Um, And he tells, he, he does something really interesting. You go and you meet him and you talk to him and he positions himself as this kind of 
omniscient presence who understands people, who knows everything they've done and can pass judgment on them. But the more you talk to him, the more you find that he's kind of an unreliable narrator, that he's biased, that he doesn't know everything. And to me, Pluto is really a stand-in for the way we often like to think of history and how we understand it. Uh, we like to think of ourselves as, as omniscient beings looking back at these complete images of the past where we have total understanding of everything that happened uh, and with thousands of years of, of hindsight and, and modern technology and education, we're uniquely able to understand them in a way that those stupid past people, they didn't know what the fuck they were doing. And it's really interesting because he's, I mean, he's wrong about some things. And also he... Uh, he he doesn't, his record, the historical record of Pluto doesn't really go uh, past uh, the, the Sumerians, which is also interesting because really once we get sort of past the Sumerians in, in our own history, uh, things get real fucking dodgy. And we, <laughs> we were really like, okay, we uncovered, uh, we in an archaeological dig, we uncovered this structure and farm tool and we're gonna really try to like uh figure out from that what this like civilization actually looked like and we're really really trying to you know do our best with very little and i feel like looking into how little we know about uh like uh neolithic societies uh really is humbling i think if you come from a, a perspective that like we we generally know what went on in history, which I think a lot of people do, um, where we view history as simply reading the events that happened and not a process of interpreting those events. Um, and I, I think that everything about the Pluto character is is there to to sort of make you think about that. In 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 my uh, that that was my sort of interpretation of it anyway. Absolutely, no, you're. I think you're absolutely right. Um, and to, for, to I you're. When it comes to Bronze Age history, I can say this actually from some experience. I had I, I had a, um, a a research assistant position in grad school, to where I translated letters from a, that were uh, being passed back and forth between Assyrian kings. Mm -hmm. um, this is the this is the breadth of our knowledge. This collection of letters that were just like, tell this guy to move this stuff over here. Can I build something over here? Brother, nice to see you. Brother, brother. This is how they greeted each yeah. other. Uh, that, they had that ascribed in French, but they didn't have it in English. And so I translated the French to English for my Bible. So this is the kind of, this is the breadth of sources that I, I've been made jokes about this in grad school all the time because my friends are all like 19th, 20th century historians. They do. I do that stuff too. But I, when I, my training's in antiquity and my, so my, uh, theses have been uh specifically centered on antiquity and sources in antiquity so they're talking about their trips to the archive and i'm like your fucking archive dude my archive is a stack of books that is sitting under my dining room table right now <laughs> like those are my sources yeah. um and it, it's useful right because we make we make all these we assign all of this meaning this value and these assumptions on history via a whole bunch of different stuff culture um, historical memory, which is something that I've talked about in YouTube videos and, and, and a whole bunch of different places, stuff that's really important. And it gives us this sense of grounding that we have 
the that 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 we have we know we know the answers and we have the perspective like not like actually i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna actually just read something instead so there's this historian that i'm not historian he's a sociologist i'm very fond of named keith hopkins who he came to mind immediately when i was playing this game because he worked with it he worked with it he co-wrote some stuff with mary beard a small book on the coliseum i know that was kind of popular um as well as wrote this book called a world full of gods the strange triumph of christianity that i read in undergrad it's basically a work of like postmodern history to where he he tells a time traveler to uh, this is he said two modern time travelers report what they've seen during a brief stay time just before the eruption of vesuvius and it's a book about religion so he focuses on the sort of vibrancy of the practice of pagan religion or pre-Christian religion in this particular time and place to sort of try and give you a sense of that you can, that you understand and can a sense, a sense that you can ground yourself in this particular history. But in that grounding, in that sense of security, in the narrative, Keith Hawkins is saying, no, I am filling in the blanks here Yeah, to try and, to imagine against the grain, so to speak. And this is from the introduction to that book. He says, uh, this history, as in the history that, the history of the the surprising triumph of Christianity against all odds, really, like as this sort of like weird kind of backwater (laughs) religion (laughs) that ended up triumphing and becoming the dominant, like becoming the religion of the Roman Empire, et cetera. This history plays on several irreconcilable in irreconcilable <laughs> i can thank god for editing irreconcilable god i can my accent means i can't say that word this history plays on several irreconcilable tensions what was it like to be there we don't know and cannot know and yet surely emphatic imagination should play its part we have to imagine what romans pagans jews and christians thought felt experienced believed but as with Baroque music played on ancient instruments, we listen with 20th century ears. We read ancient sources with modern minds. And if we report what we do know in quasi-objective analytical terms, then en- inevitably our whole language of understanding and interpretation is deeply influenced by the modern world and who we are in it. We cannot reproduce antiquity, and religious history is necessarily subjective. We know from experience that other writers and readers are very likely and fully entailed to disagree. <laughs> so, <laughs> and he he goes on to basically pose the question, like, why, so what am I going to do instead? And Keith, the answer for Keith Hawkins is experiment with form. And so there's a screenplay. His son, I think, is a screenwriter, or was, Keith Hawkins passed away some years ago, but his uh, son is like a screenwriter. Mm-hmm. So in there, there's like a play, there's a screenplay about the Gnostic Gospels there's a there's the time traveler narrative there's like all of this like really interesting stuff that as i was saying before it 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 constructs these imagined narratives as a means for both posing questions of a historical time and place as well as for demonstrating the elasticity the sort of interpretive methodology that goes into all history which is something that doesn't exist outside of our consciousness. We make history, and we make history when we read it, too, is kind of what he's saying. Mm-hmm. 
And this is really what the game it's what it's what this fucking game is doing. It's doing the ex- to me it is doing almost one for one the exact same thing, which is what so, I found so overwhelming. This was my favorite book I read in undergrad. Um, I have gotten a lot of people who never read this kind of shit to read that book, and a lot of them thought it was really fun. I think it sold kind of well. It got a paperback, so I think people really liked it because it was doing this. This game is essentially saying. It's using the idea of like, what if you sort of traveled into this, like past the plane of life in like in a parallel way, you sort of traveled as close to death as you can come Mm -hmm. and then existed in sort of like this stasis period that existed in a different time. What if you traveled through time and also through space to move outside of like and 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 it, it it uses and then in the good 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 ending like more spoilers as you go through mountains and mountains of dialogue as you talk to a god you could it, it's posing the question like what if you could essentially have a platonian almost a socratic i mean a socratic style dialogue with a god and essentially negotiate a better future for the people around you and get them out of some real shit. Yeah. Um, and it, it's kind of cool it, because they, they prep you for that with the philosopher in the cave who in, mm-hmm. you have to sort of go to where he is at one point to be able to do that ending where you talk to the God uh, at the end. So like you, you, you get a little test drive at doing a Socratic dialogue uh, with somebody, which is, is I thought that was quite good game design. Oh, it was a, uh, it was kind of, it was kind of perfect in a way, because it had this like. It was the culmination of a lot of like the sort of post-Socratic tradition that was trying to figure out like, I don't know. There's a lot of like, there were like literally like a lot of stoic characters in the game, which made sit, which was really well written mm-hmm. because, considering where it w- it was around the time that the Roman Stoa, would have been like more of a practicable like. It was around the time of Seneca, which is around the time of when like Stoicism, we don't know how people actually practiced Stoicism, but what we do know is that people practiced it because it spread around around this time. Yeah. So you run into people who's like, yeah, he's a uh, he's a good Stoic and Horatius who quote constantly quotes Seneca all the time uh, and like the, the sort of ruminations on hardship um, and the sort of conflict that comes with the like you see the, the this is the time in emerging in christianity and like oh man that's that's really what i want to talk about is that okay so this this the 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 most interesting i think historical thing that i saw in this game besides all the stuff at the end absolutely as a little it, you're a little interlocutor with a god and like you sort of negotiate your way out of like through history it makes you feel very sort of like powerful and reminds us how very small we are because we as we all know it's just not how things work yeah but in that, like the the real descriptive function of this game and how history works, you can see it in uh, everyone's conversations around the um, fire in Rome. Mm-hmm. Uh, in sixty four, there is a. This is basically under the rule of Nero. The the popular narrative is that Nero either started the fire himself. Or the fire started, and then Nero blamed 
uh, Christians and use it as an excuse to start persecuting early Christian communities, which not to like come in like, you know, rain on people's, you know, parade when it comes to Nero's persecution of Christians. Nero absolutely persecuted Christians, but the sort of like, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, we can cast some doubt on this view that, you know, that's the reason why Nero started persecuting Christians or that he even did that or, you know, there, you were speculating on that. But in, but in the game, it's an event that comes up in the game and that you can see from the perspective of several different people who were there and experienced it and then who ended up in this uh, forgotten city. Um, and there is the perspective of the Christians who, according to them, they see it directly linked at, to the they, they see themselves as being 100% scapegoated. Um, there's some question from other people's perspectives who were there and experienced onto whether or not Nero was to blame for the great fire of Rome. This is closer to what it's like in history, right? We don't have scholarly consensus on events that are presented, at least from, I grew up very religious mm-hmm. and they, they like I was an evangelical community, so they weren't like obsessed with history, but I knew who Nero was and I knew <laughs> Nero was the guy who set Rome on fire so he could start persecuting Christians. That is. And so like I knew that I knew that. Yeah, I, I knew that that was. And so when I got to college and I'm like. Oh, yeah, yeah. By then, I you know figured that a lot of the stuff I got when I was growing up was bullshit. But like you learn that, like. It's not even just that, you know, I have been given a lie or something. It's that there's a popular conception that's separated from a much more rigorous, sometimes often, more often than not, I'd say, unsettled scholarly debate around what happened, how it happened, what people experienced, uh, how they felt during those experiences. And that gets more difficult the further back you go when it comes to history, because just purely we have fewer sources. And even then... We're still have we're still separated by time and by our perspective. So we have to I guess I guess, you know, to sort of sum up I think what Keith Ho- a historian like Keith Hopkins is trying to do, or a, so, a sociologist, I keep calling him a historian. Uh or what a game like the Forgotten City is trying to accomplish is to like both speculate and di- to disrupt via speculation. Mm-hmm about what could possibly be like what if you could time travel and talk to people and experience what if it what it was like all while all the while reminding us that we can't and so we need to it's it's the it's the sort of like skepticism of postmodernism that is very useful in the sort of functions and being a little superficial here but like i think people will understand what i'm saying you know postmodernism no one really like Everyone who talks about postmodernism doesn't really seem to know on online at least doesn't seem to really know exactly what it means. But like, it really does function as this sort of like academic and philosophical skepticism that I think has always been around in sort of Western philosophy for a reason. It 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 comes back and it like revises it it eats at the back of our minds and says, you know, what do we know and how much can we know? Mm-hmm. It's good. No, it poses really important questions. Although, of course, I always have to warn people uh, to drink responsibly when it comes to postmodernism. <laughs> um, <laughs> earlier, I mentioned that 
you have to discover Pluto's four other sort of names, uh, uh, I, not identities, but sort of interpretations by different cultures, uh, uh, back starting from the Romans to the Greeks to the Egyptians to the Sumerians. Um, and I think that really invites us to view history as, as a, a developing and very sort of, uh, I suppose, uh, in, interpreted thing. Uh, and I think a, a really interesting way it does that is you start off in the Roman city. Uh, pretty much everyone there is Roman. You meet one Greek guy who's been like hiding away since... Yeah. Uh, because the Roman city is built on top of a Greek city, uh, because you know when the world was full of Greeks and they died, they came to this afterlife and they they built. Uh, oh yeah, you're in the underworld, by the way. I don't know if we said that or like a purgatory adjacent <laughs> to it. Yeah. Um, and so they built a Greek city, and then the Romans came and they built a Roman city on top of them. But one Greek guy from the original Greek city is hiding out in a cave, uh, who's been sort of hiding from Pluto's gaze, hoping that he won't. Uh, get purged like everyone else did um and you uh, talking to him is really this gateway into uh, a series of events in the game that is going to really blow the lid off a lot of what this game is talking about and it's interesting that you get a single first-hand account from the greeks and then it you know, the quality of your account of these cultures degrades as you go because you discover from him that uh, the Greek city was built on top of an Egyptian city. And when you enter the Egyptian area, you get a guy who um, was Egyptian, but lived kind of after the, uh, the, the passing of sort of the ancient Egypt as we know it, kind of like he was living in uh, Rome's time more than more than sort of like the peak of Egypt that we think of. Um, so he was kind of looking back at his culture and he was really, he had discovered that in fact, uh, the Egyptian city was built on top of a Sumerian city, but he couldn't accept this because he was, he, he kind of reminds me of a lot of modern reactionaries and he has this like certain way of understanding his culture as, as like, this is where the buck stops. Uh, is that okay? Yeah, yeah. The Rome, the Romans built it on top of the Greeks. The Greeks built it on top of the Egyptians. But that's it. We are the real originators. We're, you know, it, the history stops and begins here. Um, and of course, he has to come to terms or not, depending how things go, uh, with the fact that no, yeah, this the, the Egyptians built it on top of the fucking Sumerians, and you do not meet anyone with any connection to Sumeria. That is purely a distant thing and, and again like we said before it reflects kind of our dwindling sort of access to, to sources to records uh sumerians wrote a bit um but it, it's it, it can be kind of uh, i mean maybe dodgy is not the word but it can be a bit dubious because there's things like uh, as you as you well know of course there's this things like the that list of kings that includes i think gilgamesh having ruled for like 120 years it's like all right, that's probably not quite true uh and and how like um myth and kind of historical record kind of uh weave in and out of each other pretty seamlessly 
I think, in a lot of Sumerian stuff, and it can be really... It does to a degree in, in Egyptian and, and Greek stuff as well, and, and probably Roman, I don't know. Um, and it, it does create this sort of thing where there's a constant interpretation that has to be done, and of course the further back you get and the less you have to work with, the more it's like, we're pretty sure this bit's true, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so I think it's really cool how through the game... Uh, well, first of all, it's positing very aggressively that that um, the cultures, human cultures, develop not as isolated incidents as they're sometimes thought of, but as con a continuum building on what came before. And I think it's noteworthy that we're seeing Rome just as kind of Christianity is is starting to really rear its head, because of course, I think it's quite common knowledge Christianity would would pull heavily uh, as it developed from different um, sort of. Uh, religions and in the area from 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 greek stuff from like nordic stuff um just as all of those did before because it's don't forget judaism no yeah yeah of, most important of course thing. yeah that's yeah exactly this es an estuary of religious pr a production of religion led to christianity in the same way that like you're absolutely right it has this like flattening like like in this in this imagining of the afterlife as this historical like like that like an afterlife that experiences history in some way shape or form they're able to with this game sort of flatten history out literally and stack it on top of each other yeah and use it to talk about like a fucking ant farm like <laughs> yeah. i just thought like there's this movie um it's called agora it's about it's a it's starring Rachel Weiss and it's basically it's about the life of Hypatia, particularly toward the end of her life and it's a movie about religious conflict between Judaism between um, Hypatia's camp and the so she's a plate she's a Platonist right I believe um, and then the uh, uh, Christians and there's these shots and it was done by a uh, a Spanish filmmaker. I can't remember his name. It has these, but this this movie. While there's like the the burning of the of the library at Alexandria is one of the events in the film, mm -hmm. and it's all so many of these events are depicted through aerial shots. So everyone in uh uh in in the sort of like sense of Voltaire like looks like little ants, kind of like on a hill or whatever. And this game is just the same fucking thing. Yeah, it is this like necessary like the 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 necessary zoom like out to see just kind of like civilization as this like ant farm like with these various like you know divisions of existence that experiences history and like just wow yeah yeah it's really good it's it's a good movie it's um i think this game is when you realize what it's doing, it can it can feel quite heavy-handed, but I think that's good because, like I said before, it's taking aim at a, at popular conceptions of history that are, I mean, they're popular. You know, they're, they're the way a lot of people view this. So I think that I'm I'm extremely in favor of any art that wants to encourage the uh, the person experiencing it to to maybe think about those things a little differently. Um, also, the burning of the Library of Alexandria, or as we like to call it. Historian 9-11. There we go. <laughs> Got that one out. <laughs> Same. Yeah. We're just waiting for that one. Yeah. I'm re I'm realizing I'm realizing now. Yeah, that one's a bummer. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, I mean, hi- history is is really a long line of bummers. That's that's kind of my uh, that's my, that's my <laughs> take. <on. laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. yeah. All hitherto existing history is the history of bummers. I'm pretty sure Mark said. Um, so, uh, I'm realizing I forgot to introduce the pod as well. We're just it's just going to be like cold open into the Sopranos. This is all chat. gamers are bad. This is this is all gamers are bastards. Um, it's all Sopranos it's a, are based. <laughs> uh, it's a podcast about video games like the Sopranos <laughs> and um, set it, the work of the Roman Stoics mm-hmm. and the Epic of Gilgamesh. That's a video game. The Epic of Gilgamesh uh, co-starring Tony Soprano. Um, uh, oh my, I forgot to mention that uh, had the funniest thing in the show that Tony's uh, fucking Panic attacks and, and fainting are triggered by Gabagool. Oh. <laughs> Fucking. Oh, man. It's anti Italian discrimination. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It is. It, it's, as you alluded to before, um, it really is amazing that the uh, Italian American community was able to <laughs> withstand it. I'm realizing but, that I, I decided to open this with Sopranos chat, and it's a game about. Uh, it's a Roman game this was this fuck this episode is is seamless we've it's all come together it is it always does (laughs) and uh you know i uh as as a as a as a well-documented anthropologist for the italian the the uh, particular italian uh version of human uh I, i i'm always down to uh go on extended conversations about like like god like there's got to be more games about antiquity that are like this god a lot of them are so bad yeah well that's i was really worried about the forgotten city before it came out because you know i i I got i got that the premise was going to be rome and obviously in the skyrim mod it was like a dwemer ruin but obviously they are the dwemer are at least aesthetically borrowing from romans in a lot of ways but uh, so it you know it seemed kind of like a natural direction to take it, but I was really worried. Um, and when I got into the game, one of the first people you meet is like a guard who talks about uh, stoicism, and like he he doesn't say anything that's wrong. But I was like, oh shit, okay, this game's gonna actually get into some like uh, uh, like philosophical territory. And I was I was worried it was gonna be cringe, but uh, it was based, not cringe. Nope. <laughs> yes, we looked at the, the we we consulted the charts and the graphs, and we did some calculations for our uh, some numerical calculations and uh, some algebraic equations, and we've determined that the game is in fact based. Yep, it isn't mathematically speaking. The game is based. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um. Are, are there any other things you wanna you wanna say about the Forgotten City? We should probably wrap up pretty soon. No, I think uh, uh, I think. Oh, uh, I, I I just want to take five seconds and I want to roast Octavia. Oh yeah, Octavia, Octavia. You talk about the brutality of gladiatorial combat, and I understand that's part of your sensitivity. At, for you know fear of christian persecution which by the way a lot of christians most christians weren't afraid of being persecuted in ancient rome by the way so that's not not only is that not very roman of you but you you, you really don't seem to understand how 
gladiatorial combat is based off of virtue um, and why, you know, people would uh, enlist in gladiatorial combat, which many people did. So uh, uh, why don't you read a book? Read a book, you Um, stupid fuck. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Go. Octavia is canceled. Octavia touches grass. Needs to touch grass. Octavia needs to read. Um, yeah, you did a, a, you did a, um, you did a no growth. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, listen, we, we need our Christian repression narratives. It's so important to have. (laughs) I remember growing up, um, and some, like a, it's hard to even describe. There was just a weird sect of colonizer missionaries basically to live near this like largely native community um and they would do like after school activities and stuff and they would always you know inject like a little bit of bible study into it and they were really big they were really big on how persecuted christians are but like not just historically but also today and i would always get into arguments with them because it was canada i was like you guys i think you guys are doing okay I'm pretty sure we reference your God in like the national anthem. I feel like you can't be that bad. Uh, I think that was an argument I made once, which isn't, you know, the strongest argument. But at the time, I was just like deeply perplexed by these people and what the fuck they were complaining about. <laughs> and I, I, I wouldn't realize until I was older that this was a, sort of a big part of their particular uh, denomination and that, that they, they just they, they love to do this. They love it so much. They love that movie with Adam Driver where... They're in, uh, is it Japan? I haven't actually seen it. <laughs> There's a movie with Adam Driver about some like priests who are being persecuted and 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 they're like, you gotta denounce God or we'll kill you. And he's like, oh, kill me then. Uh, I'm Adam Driver. Yeah. I have to stop yeah. the Jedi. Kill- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that like. But there's, it's got kind of like, oh man, we gotta, we gotta figure. Is that, is that a video game? We have, we have lots of video games that we've, we wanted to talk about Goya paintings, which is that's a video, a video game. game, yeah. And then like, a popular, like, uh, uh, more contemporary, modern, or modern interpretations of classic, classical, martyr myths in Christianity. Because boy, do I have like. I could talk for 10 hours about the mythologizing around Columbine in evangelicalism. Columbine. Now, really, because of, oh, we're going to Oh, the Col- We're going to have to talk there's, about there's that. There's there's we're going to have to do something we'll figure it out at some okay, point. Okay, I'm I'm very interested to hear about that. I mostly just wanted to to make fun of them for how many of their stories uh-huh. of martyrs are just like colonizers getting what they fucking deserve. This is what this is <laughs> you can do that too. Yeah. You can do <laughs> You can you have stories of, um, like Christian radicals throwing out reactionary Christians, mm-hmm. uh, in those same places. You have yeah a litany of stories of those assholes getting owned. We love it. We love when they get owned. We we approve. Of we it. approve of it. <laughs> All right. Should we uh should we do plugs? Call it a day. We can plug. We can plug. Uh. I'll I'll plug yeah, plug it up. I'm labor I'm 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 labor Kyle. Uh, L, 
L is in labor Kyle, A is in Aber Kyle, B is in Baber Kyle. Um, uh, uh, on Twitter and YouTube, I've got like a bunch of stuff in the pipeline. So by the time this comes out, there's probably something new. So go watch it. Um, yeah, I have two videos that are fairly close to done. One that's on uh, long, the, the long-awaited video on the boss baby <laughs> coming soon it's reached uh we've gotten back into the editing process for that one and then i got another one on a uh, much more hilarious and totally not more serious uh, topic coming after that that i think people will uh, be into anyways okay plug yeah you can find me on twitter uh at boss baby uh, you can find me on YouTube, uh, also at Boss Baby. Um, I've actually I've got a video coming up that's surprisingly not about Boss Baby. Uh, there's a video. It'll it'll be it'll be long out by the time this episode's out uh, about Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the MCU slop that that's being piled into our little piggy troughs. Um, and uh, you know. It's maybe maybe the video is actually about Boss Baby, and I'm just trying to trick you with some Marvel stuff. You don't know. You won't know till you see it. Surprise, Boss! Surprise, Baby. Boss, Baby. Boss Baby. That's right. <laughs> That's right. All gamers are bastards. Yeah.